Hello everyone and welcome to episode one of the Arm Automotive Insights series, featuring wide-ranging conversation on the future trends expected to disrupt the automotive industry. I'm your host, Chet Babler, VP of the Automotive Business here at Arm, and today I have Robert and Neil, my colleagues, with me. Do you want to introduce yourselves, guys? Thanks, Chet. My name is Robert Day. I look after the solutions and platforms uh, for automotive team. Hey, Chet. This is Neil Stroud. Um, I lead our technology strategy team across automotive. Hey, guys. Good to have you here. So before we get into some uh, meaty discussion, I wanted to observe, it seems like the automotive industry is going through a bit of pain at the moment. All you hear about is OEMs are struggling with profit margins. Recently, I read um, collectively, globally, OEMs are making 80,000 people redundant over the coming couple of years. So is there anything to cheer about? I think it's a blip. I, I honestly think that the amount of innovation and um, that's going into the automotive world and what we see on a daily basis is the automotive market's going to come out. It might be different. There's going to be new things, but I think it's going to rebound from this. Glass half full approach. Are you kidding yourself? When you look in China, subsidies being removed for electric vehicles. When you look in Europe, tough emission standards that OEMs need to meet. Are they going to get out of this quagmire? Yeah, I think they will. And, and, and I think technology is going to help. I really think that, that, as I say, the innovation that's going into the automotive industry is going to kind of renew our energy for, for, for vehicles. Neil? Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think the discussions I, I get involved in as well, I think that the innovation is definitely accelerating and it's driven by things, like you said, with emission controls. That's obviously driving technology as well and how we solve those problems. Uh, and there are other factors coming into it as well around, you know, some of the, um, the trends you see in the city, the urbanisation, population, mobility, these kind of things. So I think there's a lot to be looking forward to and that's driving a lot of the great discussions we're having. Okay, well, I'll stay on the fence for now. Let's see how this discussion goes. So maybe before we get into specific things around the innovations that you were both referring to, um, maybe if we look at some of the global trends that are impacting society today. So I'm talking about things like sustainability, big thing. Everyone's talking about it, even Greta Thunberg. Um, digital, digitalization, big data, um, inclusivity. So the, the infirm, the old... Uh, uh, people are not capable to be more uh, involved in society is a big issue. And then, then urbanisation. Um, I was reading recently the United Nations is saying over the next 10 years, 900 million more people are going to move into our cities. So these are big challenges that you know globally we're facing. There's obviously other things like nutrition and poverty, but the reason I was talking about these particular ones is maybe the automotive industry has a role to play here. And is that where you're talking about innovations might be able to play play a role? Yeah, I, I think so. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of buzz and hype around autonomous autonomy, uh, autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars. And I think some of that plays into those trends that you're seeing. A lot of people are moving into the cities. A recent report I saw about autonomous vehicles and the public acceptance the majority of the people that accept it are people that are in the city because they don't want to have a car and they don't want to drive. So autonomous, you know, robo taxis are going to be a way that they can get around. You mentioned about the, you know, the elderly and people that you know can't drive. They can take advantage of this too. However, for us to get to autonomy, the amount of innovation that needs to go into these vehicles is enormous. Okay. 
So one of the things I kept hearing about in this automotive industry was this thing about aces. And I was at first I was wondering, are people talking about playing cards or what? And then I dug into it, and apparently it stands for Autonomous Connected Electrification and Shared Services. I thought this is interesting, and, and is this perhaps what's driving some of the innovation that we're starting to see now? So I dug a little bit deeper. So autonomous obviously is around this trend of self-driving cars, and actually I'd bundle into that as well higher levels of driver assistance as well, ADAS. And then a lot of these cars are becoming connected now. There's already 3G e-call capability in cars, but actually a lot more around higher levels of connectivity, um, LTE, 5G, taking data off the vehicle, but also an ability to send data into the car. Electrification, this is a big deal. We're hearing so much about it now. Obviously, Tesla has made this kind of mainstream in the industry, but we're hearing other... OEMs focusing on electrification and then shared services and this is your mobility services like Uber and Lyft and I thought this is quite interesting how's this going to impact the industry what kinds of new innovation need to be delivered in this space so have you guys been following this I mean what 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 are the potential impacts that this ACES trends could have so the I mean, I mean, the impact is, again, it, it's technology. So, you know, improving electric vehicles, improving battery technology, potentially even going to other energy sources like fuel cells. This is all going to make for a cleaner environment. It's going to make for more efficient cars and will also lead to the potential of having uh, cars on the road a lot more in these shared services. So, you know, we talk about vehicles operating 23-7 versus the 3% as they do right now as we own them. And that will have a dramatic impact on how we as a society work. I, I think the connectivity piece is really, really interesting, actually, because when you think about, as you said, Chet, the way vehicles have been done historically, there's been little to no connectivity. We had a cell phone in the car and that was our connectivity. But making the car itself more connected, so you, as you said, get data off it so you can start to think about predictive maintenance, you know the location of the vehicle so that plays into smart cities and you can start to predict where parking spaces are and that kind of thing, as well as interacting with the city and how that ties in with safety, like getting data from intersections on the road and, and thinking about you know traffic planning, traffic jams, but also um, you know data into the car as you said as we, as we get to more and more autonomy then we're going to consume more and more data. It could be you know even streaming movies for example. So that whole dynamic of this huge amount of data going in both directions is really interesting. And the new business models it drives as well, like, you know, insurance is a great example. You know, is it insurance per use as you use the vehicle and you just take insurance for that period of time, for example. So I think a huge amount of innovation around that as well. Okay. Uh, just coming back on the environmental impact. So we're saying if everything goes electric, are we going to save climate change? Is this going to solve the problem? What about production of batteries? People talk about electric vehicles and focus on tailpipe emissions, but what about all the energy that needs to go into building batteries? So I think everything is going to get optimised. So, so yes, there's the trade-off of whether you have emissions coming out of your tailpipe or emissions out of a smokestack. But I think what's going to happen is we're going to optimise this as we get this shift from the combustion engine to the, to the electric vehicle. And, and I think you know, if we bear in mind the environment as we do this, rather than just the, the blitz of we need to get bigger, faster, you know, cars, then I, I, I really think that we have a chance of changing things. 
Okay. Uh, something I just pick up on you mentioned around our cities and the impact on urbanisation. Um, so y- you were saying you get more utilisation out of autonomous vehicles. That's really interesting. This is going to start taking vehicles off the road. If, and if you look at our cities, I reckon about 20% of the area of cities is given over to car parks. Imagine yeah. what we're going to be able to do when we don't need car parks anymore. So I, I, I read recently um, there are some cities in the US that are now actually building uh, car parks or garages, as we say in America, um, <laughs> to actually have basically flat, for, flat floors and higher ceilings so that they could actually be changed from car parks to office buildings oh, in the future. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sounds interesting. Um, what about this angle around social inclusion? How's the ACEs going to help with that? Um, okay, so so I think what it's going to do is it's going to offer mobility, easy mobility and cheaper mobility to the masses. So people that can't either afford a car or can't drive right now will actually have access to basically instant shared transportation and the transportation costs will go down per mile than what they are right now. So it's actually going to make the population more mobile. It's just going to be a a different way that people are going to get around. Okay. I've actually got a personal example of that. So my father was uh, wheelchair bound and my mum never learnt to drive. So they were totally dependent on buses and community buses and things like that. So and Dad was a very sociable character. So actually he was, you know, really struggling to get around, go out and meet his friends. So I think this world of autonomous vehicles could actually really help social inclusion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Um, Something I wanted to, maybe a negative thing. I think everyone's getting so excited about electric vehicles. Um, Today, governments earn billions of dollars, euros, pounds, use your currency of choice, from taxation on fossil fuels. If everyone moves to electric, where's all that revenue going to come from for governments? So so assuming it's not just people moving to electric, but they're actually going to move to shared services, the government will be able to take their fees from the shared service companies. I've also heard somewhere about... Basically, pulling up by the side of the road, you'll get charged for basically pavement space when you do a a pick up and drop off. So they'll find a way of. of, Yeah, I mean, if the cars are connected, people know where you are. Maybe they start charging per mile and use that to offset some of the um, gasoline taxes. Yeah, yeah. But it's not, it's not the panacea that people are thinking. There's a lot of stuff to be worked out here. Yeah, because the, the other thing that I think the, the cities are going to have to do is actually improve the infrastructure to, to connect to the cars. And that's going to take investment, but potentially they could recoup that investment by charge services to the autonomous vehicles or you know advertising to the people in the car or whatever. So they'll find a way. It's just going to shift. I think there's another part to it as well, and there's the legislation pieces. If we're talking about autonomy, I think that ties in a little bit to taxation and charges and, and maybe redistributing the, the, the revenue pool here and there, that, that has an impact. So I think, there's, as you said, there's some things to be worked out. Okay. Um, one thing we should talk about is the positive benefits that higher levels of driver assistance bring to vehicles. And there's a lot of money and effort going into this. We're seeing companies 
pumping hundreds of millions of dollars into new types of sensors, LIDARs, radars, cameras. What kind of benefits can we expect from driver assistance, let alone autonomous? So it's going to save lives. So, um, you know, I think there's over a million people die every year in in traffic accidents. Um, 94% of serious accidents are caused by driver. So nine out of ten accidents are human error. Mm -hmm. Wow. So if you start to aid the humans not to make their errors, either keeping them in their lanes or braking when they haven't figured out the car in front's stopping, you could actually reduce that quite dramatically. That's quite impressive. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what about safety? Do people really trust these higher levels of autonomy vehicles? Do you, are you going to get into a car that's fully autonomous? Are you going to get into a car that's level 2 ADAS and it's going to steer you in your lane? Do you trust that stuff? I think that's a great question. I think, I think there's a level of apprehension there for sure. If you're talking about full autonomy, putting your trust in that fully autonomous vehicle, I think, I think there's some work to do there. But the great thing is, from an industry perspective, we're taking it in steps, as we said earlier on. It's you know new features being introduced into the vehicle to aid the driver. So we're, we're getting there in steps and building the trust along the way. And these, you know, the innovations around uh, sensors around the vehicle, you know, whether it's lane assist, as you said, it, it's going to save you know hundreds of thousands of lives over over the coming years, millions of lives even. Um, but you do become reliant on those systems, and you have to know that you can trust the data that they're giving you. So it's really important that as you as you build that trust, you know, you, you continue to go with it. So making sure that system works correctly is absolutely critical. And that's where, you know, we, we as a company are spending a lot of time from our technology and the technology that we deliver, making sure that you can rely on that data, rely on that piece of equipment, that it's functioning correctly. I, I think there's going to be an interesting move as we put more automation. So rather than driver assistance, which is basically helping us, we're actually, you know, basically safety helping us, we're going to get these higher levels of automation. The problem with that is as humans, as soon as you say, oh, I'm going to do a bit of the driving for you, you're just going to assume it will do all the driving, you'll, you'll take your hands off the wheel, you'll read a book, you'll go to sleep, whatever. And so we as humans can't be trusted right now. So what's going to happen is a new type of innovation is coming into our cars, which is called a driver monitoring system. And what that's going to do is basically watch us. as well, Seeing if I'm nodding off. Yes, or getting in the back of the car or something while the car's driving. And, and there are going to be regulations that are already being um, put out there that if you are going to turn on your higher levels of automation, you have to have a driver monitoring system, and that will watch. And as soon as you read your book or whatever, it will basically say, I'm turning off the driver automation now. That's clever. That's clever. In case you've missed it, download our guide on how to make autonomous vehicles a reality with ARM. A must read for anyone interested in the future of ADAS and autonomous vehicles. Visit our ARM automotive webpage to download the report now. Um, Just on this um, driver assistance, something I didn't realise is, you know, the NCAP safety ratings are now increasingly adding driver assistance type features to the test um, suite. And I think ADAS, Advanced Driver Assistance uh, features, make up to 20% of the NCAP testing. 
So there's a real motivation here for OEMs to try and deploy these systems to get the vehicles as safe as possible because every OEM wants to try and get that five-star kind of rating so people buy their car and not someone else's. So where do we think, will these systems just get smarter and smarter to the point that we go into high levels of autonomy or do we need different regulations? How is this going to be dealt with by regulators? Um, So first of all, looking at the technology, the technology will get smarter. So at the moment, a lot of these ADAS systems are are really looking at, well, can I not run into the car in front of me when it breaks suddenly? Okay, that's fine. Can I keep in my lane? What we're starting to see now is people doing things like pedestrian detection. So it will actually see that there's something there, it's a pedestrian, and we'll do the same thing. So they're going to get more sophisticated. It's going to take a lot more processing to figure out what's going on around you. And what this will do is this will lead to higher potential higher levels of automation as the car gets smarter, even in driver assistance. And this is going to be the kind of the next step towards self-driving cars because the cars are going to be a lot more aware of what's going on. Okay. So we've spoken a lot about... Um driver assistance, about autonomy. Um, Should we change gears a little bit? I came back from the airport yesterday and the chauffeur car I was in had a huge wraparound instrument cluster, cockpit. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. What was happening in in the car at the moment? I'm being bombarded with screens today. Yeah, there's, there's a lot more information that we as drivers supposedly need. So it's not just my speedo or my rev counter or my infotainment. I've got my maps. I've got my heads-up display. Oh, I'm also going to get warnings of my ADAS system coming in, saying, hey, there's somebody there or the car or whatever. Okay, so that's us as drivers. We'll just think as we get more automation coming in, we're going to move from being a driver to a passenger, so we'll need to be entertained as well as... <laughs> so, so, so we're moving to a world of a cell phone on wheels, is that what you're saying? Kind of, yeah. Or, or potentially a computer on wheels because it's like your office. What do, you, what do you want to do when you're in your car when it's driving? Do you want to watch a movie? Do you want to work? It's a bit like being on an aeroplane. I, I, I want to drive my car. Sorry, I, I'm a cynic here. I love that. driving too much. So, actually, what do you drive? Oh, man. Okay, so, so, I, so I drive a manual stick shift Subaru WRX with one ADAS feature, which is hill, hill assist. Right, <laughs> so you've been here convincing me electrification <laughs> is the way to go, and you're driving an old-fashioned stick shift. It's Explain. Not... All right, okay. So, when I'm driving, I like driving, Okay. When I'm going to the airport or or something else, I quite like being driven. And so in my mind, Uber is a part of my life. So I drive sometimes, I don't drive other times, depending on the convenience. So for me, shifting from an Uber with a human driver to an Uber or a Lyft or whatever with a no driver, that's a perfectly natural progression. In fact, knowing the technology that's going into self-driving, I kind of trust it a little bit more than the average driver out there. Okay, I can maybe buy that. Neil, <laughs> fess up. Uh, well, I'm definitely a petrol head and I'm probably not the best person to try to convince you on electrification either, if I'm honest. Um, I drive a, a Jaguar XKR and also have an old school Mercedes as well amongst my collection. So I, I'm definitely, as I said, a petrol head. It's interesting what you, what you said, um, Robert, actually. I, I think there's a generational aspect to it as well. I think certainly when I talk to my son about driving... You're saying you're too old to change. Uh, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I see, 
when I talk to my son, 13-year-old son, about driving, I think our generation, um, you know, it was all about how quickly you get into the car and start driving, have your independence. I think having the conversations with the, the younger kids today, they they don't have that same urge. They see almost as driving as getting in, in the way of Utility. things they really want to do. Yeah, so... As exactly as Robert says, you know, having the ability to be in the vehicle and being on the way to where you want to get to, but being able to do the stuff you want to do is a key part of this. Okay. I have to admit, I was very close to getting an electric car a couple of months ago, but I'm not convinced the charging infrastructure in the UK is ready. So I went to a manual manual vehicle after all, a uh, petrol vehicle, but uh, I'm convinced. That, uh, Porsche Cayman. <laughs> But my next car will be an electric car. Absolutely sure of it. This episode is sponsored by Arm Flexible Access. Lowering the barriers to rapid innovation and opening the doors to leading technology with upfront access to a wide range of Arm IP support, tools and training. To find out more and request a free consultation, visit arm.com forward slash products forward slash flexible dash access. I hear a lot about zonal architecture and domain controllers and central compute. What's going on in terms of the electronics in vehicles today? So, so we're, we're, we're sort of shifting away from there being basically a, you know, a, a control unit or a microprocessor microcontroller per function in the car. And people are trying to consolidate that's that. That's these ECU things, ECUs, right? yeah, that's right. And so people are consolidating that into what are known as domain controllers. So you'll have like a, a bigger computer doing more of the functionality more centrally. Uh, and why are they doing that? Well, so so A, they're available. B, it's, it's a cost reduction. And uh, Actually, that's a good point, you know, cost. Um, I read recently the wiring loom in the car mm-hmm. is the third most expensive component and the third heaviest so does this move to domain controllers help that issue? Yeah, it does. And also the the type of wiring and, and the type of communication that's going to go into a car is going to be more like what's in your office than in your car right now. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a more digital, basically high-speed data network, especially with all the data that's coming from the sensors in the car right now. And so it's going to change how a car, and this is where we get to our zonal part as well, you know, these zones will have gateways that talk to each other over these high-speed links. And so the whole car infrastructure is more like an office than a car. And a a zone is what, like front left, front right, back of the car? Is that how a zone is defined? Well, it can be defined as, it's domains and zones. It's like a zone is sort of like a bigger domain, I think. Okay, but it's characterised by more integration, more functions. Yes. is that going to have impact in terms of software requirements? Oh, yeah. What happens for software? Yeah, I think it's really complicated because uh, I think also the observation's right, but I think there's no one answer. Mm-hmm. Each OEM's taking a slightly different view on it as to how centralised it is versus how distributed it is. And that has a huge impact on the software, okay. and how you divide that up across the system. Actually, the networking thing's a great point because as, as this technology grows and we have more connect- connectivity in the vehicle, security comes becomes even more important and having that network not just in the car but the connected car as well end-to-end security is critical in how we solve that problem yeah and 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 determinism's key so making sure that things you know the communication gets there gets there on time especially if the car is starting to make decisions based on what it's getting from different sensors around the car yeah when you think about safety 
mm-hmm. when you you're, you're transporting safety data and information to other vehicles, even to pedestrians on the roadside. Mm-hmm. Um, that that timeliness is obviously critically important. Yeah. So if we're starting to integrate more and more systems together, I'm guessing not all of them need the same criticality of safety capability. How do you deal with this mix of requirement? Yeah, that's, that's interesting because the way you look at a vehicle, if, if you're controlling the, the speed of the vehicle, the direction of the vehicle, or the braking of the vehicle, that, that's obviously very safety critical. But there are levels, as you said, if you're thinking about the information you're getting on your, your dashboard, for example, your, your, your instrument cluster, um, that's giving you information that you personally would act on. So that has, a, that has a lower criticality. But it does draw some interesting discussions because in some cases, the OEMs don't know what the level should be. So the d- default is actually to go to the highest level. Um, and I think that's going to You can end, end up over-engineering, exactly. right? And that, in, that results in more expensive vehicles, you know, higher investment for the engineering, whatever, however you want to measure it. So I think... It, we're learning as we go to a certain extent as well, uh, and we'll, we'll find what the level should be over a period of time. But, but I mean, the other thing is, as, as we move from driving our car to our car driving us, at the moment, the safety systems are making sure that when we want to do something, the car does it properly. Well, now the safety system's got to be that the car's going to do the right thing based on what it's seeing around the car. So the, the, the safety is moving not just from trusting us as a driver, but it's got to trust the, the compute system that's making the decisions and the sensor information that's coming into that system. So that's a good point, actually. It, we've got more and more centralised compute, but we've got all of these sensors. How much intelligence do you need at the sensor versus in some central brain? Has that been worked out yet? Nope. No, there's there's no standard to whether the sensors are sort of dumb just feeding to the central brain that kind of makes all the decisions, or you start putting a bit more intelligence at the sensor edge. So doing that means you can reduce the amount of data. If you're if you're doing raw video feed, raw lidar feed, and everything else, that's a lot of data and then a lot of processing. If you can move some of that intelligence and trust that intelligence to the sensor, where the sensor's saying, "Oh, okay, I can see a person over there. I better tell you, I can see a person," whereas this sensor, I can't see anything over there, then you're actually going to need less of the, the the sensor processing in the central compute. And it can basically start now saying, okay, this is what all my sensors are telling me they see. Let's make some decision and, 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 and do something about it. It creates an interesting friction in the supply chain as well, actually, oh, yeah. because everybody's wanting to differentiate. If you're and do it one, their way. Yeah, and, and want, it's almost back to owning the data. You know, I want yeah. to do more pre-processing in my part and, and you know, make, my, make my thing more valuable and then hand off pre-processed data to the next guy. So that's creating some some interesting dynamics. Well, and and, and data ownership is a really interesting topic. So all of these cars are going to be driving around looking at what's going on around them. Well, you could actually take that data and then send it to another car saying, this is what I see around me. Or you send it to infrastructure and goes to the cloud and then everybody gets to see what's going on. So what that allows, you know, us to do as a society is to start getting real-time, basically, data that's coming from these cars with all these sensors. And that comes back to our urbanization theme, because if you can understand where the cars are, where they're going, how they're interacting, municipal corporations can start impacting traffic jams and traffic flow and making sure public transport goes to the right place at the right time. That's quite an interesting kind of future we've got there. But who owns the data? That's the question. 
well, whenever you buy a new smartphone and you tick I accept, (laughs) maybe when you press start in your vehicle, you're giving your data away implicitly. So your car is your smartphone again. We're back to that. There you go. All right. Oh, so all this stuff sounds really complicated, though. These systems are not going to be easy to develop. They're not going to be easy to work together. What's the industry going to do to try and bring some level of economy of scale, some level of standardization? Is anything happening around some of these trends of electrification or shared services or ADAS systems? Is there any standardization? Is the industry coming together? So, so we're starting to see the, you know, the car manufacturers as, the, as more you know, technology and innovation goes into the car. And kind of the, the the car has a lot more software content, and and I've also seen something about the, the in the future it's going to be a yearly update of a car, a bit like a cell phone, because the technology is moving so fast. There's no one company can do all that stuff, and so what we're seeing is companies that you know have traditionally competed with each other actually kind of band, banding together and saying, look, we can still have our bit of innovation, but there's some things that we might as well collaborate on. And probably the best example of that is a, a consortium that was recently formed called the Autonomous Vehicle Computing Consortium, where basically a bunch of automotive people have kind of got together to try and look at what you know a, a reference architecture for a, autonomous compute could look like. But is that going to tell people how to design? Is it going to be like a homogenous system that everyone has the same answer? No, it's it's going to be basically a reference architecture. Going to say this this is the sort of things that these need to look like because we need to have some element of standardization. But it is still going to allow everybody in the the vehicle uh, chain to actually still have innovation. So the people designing the chips can still add their own innovation, the tier ones, the OEMs, they can all still add to it, but there's this standard platform that they'll be working with. Okay. And there are some elements of standardization, like functional safety, for example. So ISO 26262 is a, is a baseline safety standard, but you know it, it doesn't prescribe things exactly, so there's lots of room for uh, innovation, differentiation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, collaboration is probably a good note for us to be wrapping up on. I think... The doom and gloom that I was fearing perhaps was overdone. It seems like there's some seeds of hope there. Some interesting trends around driver assistance, autonomy, electrification, shared services. Um, And I think the industry needs to come together to work to try and solve some of those to address some of the higher level global challenges that we have. Is that kind of a good summary? I think that's excellent. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Robert. It's been great chatting. Uh, Had a lot of fun today. Hopefully our listeners have enjoyed it too. Uh, We'll be back soon with more podcasts touching on some of the technology themes that we've spoken about today. So uh, look forward to you joining us next time. Bye.